Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. We're going to dive into today because there's a lot of cool things we want to talk about today. And we're ending off our series called, um, gener- our generosity series that we do every single year called uh, All Things New. And the beautiful thing about this series is that we're really tackling the way we look at the gospel, the way we look at the picture of the gospel, because I think sometimes us as Christians, maybe we look at the gospel through the different lens or through a wrong lens, or maybe through a way that we think the gospel is all about getting saved and going to heaven. Well, friends, there's more to the gospel than just that. Yes, that is an important part of the gospel. It's an important part for us to know that we are made by God and that He loves us and that that sin entered this world and it separates us from Him and that Jesus came and He he finally broke that separation and He brought us close to, to God through the blood that He's done in His life. But why? So that we can just go to heaven one day? Yes, but also so that we can bring heaven to earth. So that we can live life right now filled with Him. And, and tonight I want to just gear up your hearts with this thing. Is that we do this thing called generosity um, every year. We only do it once a year. And um, when we do this thing, it's, it's a beautiful thing that we do outside of our church. So we do giving far and beyond our, beyond our normal tithe. Uh, where we give to something bigger in our family, bigger than what we do. Because we are praying not just for a church to be transformed, but for a city to be transformed. For the city of Bloemfontein to be transformed. And I really trust that tonight God is going to speak to your heart about this. Because here's the thing. This church isn't here to be a big church. <laughs> this church is here to transform a city. To transform the lives of people outside of these walls. This church is established not for its members or not for its partners. But for the people outside of these walls. And we need to shift our hearts to that. And we really trust that's going to happen today. Because here's the thing. Some of us might have this picture of normal vision. You can maybe put on that picture. Normal vision. We've got normal vision, right? Just seeing normally in, in everyday life. And we think this is how most of us sometimes see the gospel. But this sometimes is not the truth. I think there are some Christians that walk around with this, um, this condition called hematopia. All right, I might be saying it wrong, but hematopia, right? And the picture of this is actually a, a, a condition that your eyesight only shows half of it. So both of your eyes only see half of the actual thing. The rest is all blurred. And I really trust that tonight, when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to what Jesus wants from us, what, what Jesus has for us, what Jesus has for us in our lives, when it comes to living in a Christian life, when it comes to living fully open for him, that we would not have this disease anymore but that we would be set free and we can see everything the way it's supposed to be. The full vision, the normal vision that God has for us. Well, uh, there's this picture, and we've been preaching about it quite a lot in the past weeks, about the woman at the well. You guys remember her? Samaritan woman at the well meets Jesus. Amazing things happen into her life. I think this disease is happening in my eye because it's leaking. I'm leaking from the eye, guys. It's happening. But you see this woman meet Jesus, right? And in this moment where she meets Jesus, she gets offered this thing called living water. Living water. And it's so good, um, this piece of scripture in John 4 verse 10, it says this. Jesus answered to her, and this is now in the message. It says, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am. 
you would be asking for me to drink. You would be, and I will be giving you fresh, living water. He says, my friend, if, if you knew the generosity of my God, if you knew how generous he is, and you knew who I am, I have so much more than just quenching your thirst. I will give you something that you'll never be thirsty ever again. I will give you something that will not just quench your thirst, but the thirst of people around you. But he says this, if you only knew the generosity of God, the generosity he has for you, this generous picture of who he is. You see, Tim Keller says this one good quote, and I really love this. When we look at what it looks like, what we want to discover in the series, he says, Jesus' power is not just to save us out of the world, but to heal the world. You see, the power of Jesus doesn't just come and save us out of this world. No, as a matter of fact, it has come to heal this world, to heal every living thing. You see, when Jesus rocks, rocks up into this world, that's what he does. He starts healing sick. He starts raising people from the dead. He starts feeding hungry people. He starts removing demonic oppression from people. He starts looking at miracles and saying, this is what I'm doing here, right here, right now. And now that Jesus is within us, every single miracle is a thing that we can be a part of. It's something that we can live, that we can do. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, Brent, this sounds good, but I'm not one of those. You know, I have to be a good Christian. I still have to climb the ranks. I still have to you know, do this, get baptized, do this thing. I still have to figure out this. I haven't served 200 hours at church yet. First of all, who's keeping a list? If you <laughs> 200 hours. That's, some of you are like, Edkin's like, it's child's play. That's a weekend. What are you talking about? But here's the thing. Is that if you're asking yourself, hey, I, I don't know if I can do it. I want to tell you, my friend, I don't think anyone that's ever done things for God thought they could do it. <laughs> the point is, is are you willing? And tonight we want to answer this question. What does it look like when we are actually willing? When we put ourselves out there, what God can start doing? Why? Because when God does a miracle, when Jesus does a miracle, it is a moment to look back at his perfect creation. He looks back at his perfect creation and then he always moves forward to a new restoration. When he looks at a demon-possessed person, he looks back at the creation, how you were created. No, this is who you should be. Then what does he do? He restores that person to its made glory, its restoration. The moment he does all these things, he always points backwards and he points forward. He always says, he always tries to, when he, when he heals the sick, he sees that we were made not sick. And so what does he do? He wants to restore us to fullness. See, God is in the business of restoration. God is in the business of restoring this world. When we point forward to a new heaven, to a new earth, this is called Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Jerusalem, it means peace. A city of peace. And God is bringing that city of peace right now into this world. He's busy restoring, and this is his purpose, to restore this world around you. This is two cool examples. This is a lady called Jane Perkins, right? And uh, what she does is she takes old like toys and junk and she makes these beautiful pictures. There's one of Nelson Mandela out of that junk. Stuff that people have thrown away, that people have discarded, that people do not care about anymore. She takes that and she makes beautiful art pieces of it. This is what restoration looks like. For something new to be made out of something else. There's another guy, um, Derek Gore, Gores, 
I think. And what he does is actually um, such a cool thing. He takes newspapers and uh, magazines that people have thrown away. And he takes that and he makes these art pieces, massive life-size art pieces. To show what? To show that, guys, in the pain, in the brokenness, in the hurt, in the anger, there is life. There is life when the creator takes it and he puts it back together. He puts it back to what it should be, to a place where it is restored, made new. You see, our city, if we think about our city, there is spiritual lostness. There is social pain and there is systemic brokenness. The systems are broken, people. (laughs) But what does that mean for us? Do we live as Christians pointing at it and saying, God, you're, I don't know. Or do we live as Christians saying, God, when there is pain, how can I bring your love? God, when there is brokenness, how can I bring hope to the space? God, where there are people that are lost, how can I restore this world? How can I be your hands and feet? Feet, we just said feet. We just said it, right? Awaken, light up. It's time for us to start living and following Jesus in his calling and his mission. And his calling and his mission is to restore this world. So let's live it. Let's live the way that he has called us. But then we get something. And I want to tell you a little story tonight of probably some of the most shocking but coolest guys I know. The disciples. Right? Yes, the crowd. The 12 boys. Checking. Right? But here's the thing. They had to move over to the other side. Dun, dun, dun. The other side. What is the other side? Well, let me quickly find your other side for you. Can I help you? So you've got a comfort zone, right? Think about your comfort zone. You've got your friends. You've got your family. You've got the people you care about. You've got your church, right? And then you've got the other side, the not comfort zone. Those guys that tempt you, those guys that hurt you, that other hostel or residence. Career, no, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking, it's Tulipele for sure. <laughs> I can only make that joke because I was in Tulipele, so. But, I mean, what is the, what is the difference? Why, why, the, why is this space outside us? Because we have this comfort zone, and in our comfort zone, we feel good. But the moment we step outside our comfort zone, ooh, we're scared. Friend, like Timmy said earlier, wherever there's light, there can't be any darkness. And wherever you go, because of Jesus in you, there is light. And you see the disciples, they didn't understand this too much. So let me explain to you what happens in this piece of scripture. It's all in Mark, I think from Mark 6 all the way to Mark 8. And there's this moment where Jesus is walking with the disciples, spending time with the disciples. And um, in this moment, he says to the disciples, okay, we're like in the, in the area, our safe space. All right, we're going to jump in a boat and we're going to go to the other side. So they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, we don't go to that side. All right, that, that is a place called Decapolis, right? Decapolis is this place where it is like the Gentile side. It is the bad side. It is the, the seven nations of, of Canaan on that side. And, and in this space, we don't go because we're... You know, we don't come from that. It's like going to Brandwald. I'm joking. No. no, I'm joking. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. It's like Valcom. Okay. But I'm just joking. I'm just, if you're from Valcom, um, I'm really sorry. And we'll also pray for you afterwards. But, um, 
But it's like the other side. It's a place where you don't want to go because because you know there's not good stuff there. It's maybe if you live outside of Bluefortain, it's like Bluefortain to you. <laughs> yes, everyone agreed. Mm, mm. Whatever, man, that's my city. I'll dare you. <laughs> but there's this moment where they cross over to the other side. And they didn't want to go to the other side because it wasn't comfortable for the disciples. Why? Because there was Greek influence in that area, not Jewish influence. The next thing is that they worshipped the bowl, all right? They didn't worship God. They worshipped bowl. They ate pork, people. Bacon. Ribikis. Come on, ice bine. Hopefully with a mustard sauce. Crispy ice bine. They ate pork. And not only that, they offered up children in the temples. They were immoral. Yeah, literally. And, and that's, that's a shocking thing about the disciples. Can I just tell you that? That's a shocking thing about the disciples. Because when they were on their way there, when they got there, right? On their way there, there's a storm and I'll tell you about it now. But on their way there, they're the whole time like, we can't go there. They eat pork. And I'm thinking to myself, dude, they offer up their kids. How's pork the most important thing? I'm like, bacon or offering up your child? Like, that's two different worlds. All right? Except if it's really good bacon. I don't know. But, <laughs> but in this moment, the disciples don't want to go because of this place. And on their way there, oh, like good disciples, on their way there, there was a storm. There was a storm and massive waves. And I could imagine those disciples in the boat. They're like, aha, this is a picture. This is a, a word from God that we should not go there. And what happens? They wake up Jesus. Jesus, here's a storm. Jesus goes, okay. Whoop-de-doo. Do you know who I am? And he calms the storm. And I think if I was one of the disciples, I would have thought by then, maybe Jesus wants to go here for a reason. And so Jesus rocks up. They come to the shore um, where they where they're actually expecting this warm welcome. I mean, it's, it's Jesus, the guy that everyone's been talking about, and his 12 disciples, and they're on this boat going across you know, the sea. And as they go across, you could imagine like word travels, and, and they hear of him, and then you'd get there, and there's this whole welcoming committee like, Jesus, Jesus, yeah, welcome. And then like, you know, there's nothing. There's a few people. And the person that welcomes them is a demon-possessed man. What? A demon-possessed man. And so in this moment when Jesus meets this demon-possessed man, the, I think the disciples are like, what are we doing here? This is weird. The demon-possessed man. Like, Jesus, I think we should leave. And what does Jesus do? He meets the man. He drives out the demon. He sets him free. This man experienced faith in his life. He experiences God's love, Jesus' love for him. He's transformed by the gospel, by what Jesus came to put down. And it says this, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed, begging to go with him, Jesus did, um, did not let him, but he said to him, go to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, for he has mercy on you. And so the man went away and he began to tell Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. And just a little side note, a really cool thing. Jesus drives the demons into what? The pigs. <laughs> because I think he wants to tell the disciples, guys, it's not about the pigs. <laughs> it's 
It's not about the pork, okay? He drives them and then he like destroys the whole, you know, swine industry <laughs> in the area because those pigs like all go into the river or into the sea and die. And then there's like no more pigs. And so I could imagine them leaving their space. The disciples are like, we need to go. The farmers are going to find out. And you've seen these farmers in the free state. They're rough, bro. Like, we need to go. Let's get on the boat. Let's go. And so they get on the boat and, and they leave. And, and why did Jesus do this whole thing? He literally went there, healed the man, and then left. Why would Jesus do all of this effort to cross the sea to go heal one man? Because Jesus had a plan. So Jesus comes back, goes through the sea, no storm on the way back to the safe space, right? As they get to the safe space, Jesus is there. A few things happen. And then Jesus does the miracle we all love, feeding the 5,000. Pretty cool, right? Jesus, he's chilling there, he's teaching. The disciples are like, ah, these people are hungry. Let's send them home so they can have a rest and get some food and then they can come back later. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. <laughs> what you're showing is concern. I'm not about concern. I'm all about compassion. Then he says to the disciples, you feed them. <gasps> you could see Matthew, you know, with his accounting background. He's like, flip, how are we going to work this out? You see like, Peter start walking to this like river and start slapping stuff onto this, like cat, trying to catch fish. You see all these guys stressing, how are they going to do it? And they, they say like, God, but how can we? We don't have enough money, Jesus. How are we going to do this? And then Jesus goes, whoa, what do you have? And they look around. They don't really have much. They wrestle a little kid out of his lunchbox, bully him, give him a noogie. And they're like, oh, we found this fish and bread. And so what does he do? says, bring what you have. And he, and he blesses it. And then we know the story, right? 5,000 people are fed. And how many baskets left over? 12. Beautiful story of how God loves the Jewish people, these people, these safe zone, of how Jesus is involved in that. But then Jesus starts doing something different. He says to the disciples, hey, let's jump in that boat again. And he could imagine these disciples like, no, 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 dude. You remember the last time we went? It was so weird. Like there was a storm and demons. But like we need, no. And actually, if you go read in Mark, just explaining how um, Jesus, he actually kind of forced them into the boat. Jesus was like, you will get on this boat right now. Or I will, huh? <laughs> and so the disciples are on the boat and they're on their way to Decapolis again. And, but Jesus doesn't climb on the boat with him. He says, no, no, go. I'll catch up later. And so they're in the boat. And guess what happens? There's another one. A storm. A picture from God. We shouldn't go. And so they start stressing. And then what happens? Jesus, my man, rocks up. Not in a boat. Not in a plane. Not Superman. Jesus himself walking on water. Calms the storm. And then we know the story, right? Peter walked to me. Peter's like, yay. Peter's like, look at me, guys. And then, look, look, look. <laughs> and there's this whole moment again. You see, Jesus again showing them, guys, when you follow me, when you're with me, miracles will happen. Things will happen. The storms will come, but it does not matter because I'm busy with something bigger than your storm at this moment. I'm calling you to something on the other side of the sea, to a new place, to a new space where your life will impact someone else's life. Don't look at the storm. Look at me. 
Because you will step out of the boat. And you will experience something new. And so, Jesus with them. And they finally get to the shores of the Capitals. And there, they find something different. In Mark 6, 54, it says this. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They recognized him. They, they knew who he was. It wasn't just one demon-possessed guy like, hey, what's up? Like, there was a group of people that were like, oh, that, this is a Jesus guy. It's him. Messiah. That dude. They recognized him. And they didn't recognize him because, you know, he was driving out demons. I could imagine to the disciples, they were probably going in the way like, guys, row slow because those farmers are waiting for us. They're going to sort us out. We, like, destroy their, you know, their crop or their big groupings. What is it called? Uh, a group of pigs. I don't know. A sty of pigs. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But here's a beautiful thing about it. When they rock up there, people didn't like, recognize Jesus as the guy that drove their pigs into the sea. That's not how they recognized him. They recognized him because of one crazy man. One man that was transformed forever. It says as soon as he got out of the boat, people recognized him. How do we know they recognized him for that? Because of what happened. They ran out through the whole region, carrying the sick on mats to wherever he was heard. And wherever he went, into villages, into towns, into countrysides, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch the edge of their cloak. And when he did, they were healed. See, this is the ministry of the person that came to faith. This demon-possessed man. Because what happened? He, was, he met Jesus in the most orthodox place. And this man that everyone knew and as, known as a demon-possessed man, a guy that was literally chilling on the graves, now he's walking and professing life. He's now living life. He's showing life to the world around him. And this prepares the way for Jesus to come and do another great miracle. You know the fish he fed you know, on the Jewish side? He does it again. The feeding of the 4,000. Mark 8. And so Jesus is busy teaching. There's a large crowd of 4,000 people. And he's preaching for three days. Now, if you've ever complained if our sermons are long in this church, have you ever heard a three-day sermon? No pee-pee breaks. Can't go down to pick and pay to get a snack. No delivery. And for three days straight, God, Jesus is teaching. Jesus is teaching, and then he has compassion on this crowd. He looks at them and he goes, yo, I've been saying a lot of things. Shame, maybe it's time we get you some food. All right? And then the conversation happens again. The conversation starts all over. Where Jesus is confronted with the situation. The disciples, Jesus says to the disciples, I think we should feed them. And the disciples again go, oh, how should we do it? And I see Peter like starts walking to the, you know, to the sea, like trying to, okay, I must go catch. Well, hold on, I've seen this before somewhere. And Matthew's like doing his math and like, oh no, wait, I've, I've, we've done this before, haven't we? And in this next moment, Jesus asks them, what do you have? What do you have? Again. And so how does the disciples answer, I think, in, in the piece of scripture? He actually says this, seven. 
like not seven loaves and seven, it's just seven. You know, like if, if you, when you were a teenager and your mom asked you to do something, you're like, why? What? I imagine the disciples in the same way, like, well, what do you have? He's like, oh, we're going to do this again. Seven. Got seven. Seven loaves. Whatever you want, Jesus, just take it. We know you can do your thing. They didn't have to take it from the little boy this time. They actually had it themselves. Probably some leftovers. <laughs> I don't know. But Jesus prays for this. He multiplies it. And all the people eat. What is Jesus doing here? What is Jesus portraying here? He's saying to the people, my friend, when it comes to my gospel, I don't have this side or the other side. Every side is my side. I don't have just faith for the Jews. I don't just have faith for church people. No, my friends. I have faith for people on the opposite side of the sea. I have faith for people that are lost. Faith for people that are busy sleeping with their girlfriend and boyfriend. Faith for people that are giving up their lives for, for drugs and, and addicted to many different things. People that are giving up their lives for success and for all these things. Because why? Because I have come to love this world. Not just a side. I've come to love everyone. You see, Jesus had a faith for the lost. He had a true faith for the lost. When he saw the spiritual hunger in Decapolis, what does he do? He frees a demon-possessed man, the most unlikely of superheroes. And he sets him free so that he could go and make a way so that that one person can grow to 4,000. And so that that 4,000 people can grow to us sitting here today. Jesus had love for people. See, Jesus wanted to show them something. Is that I, I want to show you what you can do with what you have. I want to come and show you what you can do when you bring it to me. I always wondered why bread and fish the whole time. Like, why wasn't there like some steak or McDonald's? Um, okay, obvious reasons. KFC. Like, why wasn't, why wasn't there something else? Always bread and fish, bread and fish. Well, bread and fish was the most, most, like, common food in that time. It was actually what poor people ate. It was like our, you know, Sasko bread and, like, what we eat every day, right? It was like very normal, cheap food, all right? It's like deli chips. It's just cheap. It's like, it's not about how great it tastes. It's just it's cheap, slop chips. It's all about... The cheapness of us. And I would, I would imagine why. Why, would, why wouldn't Jesus throw this extravagant feast and like have a bunch of like things like lamb? Like if you ate lamb in those days, you, you were a bowler. Like even now, if you eat lamb, you're a bowler. Like just saying, lamb choppies are too expensive. But in this moment, why doesn't he have this massive feast? Because he wanted to show you something that friends, it doesn't matter if you think you're rich or you're poor. It doesn't matter what you have. Even your little bread and your little fish is enough when it comes to me. When it comes to me, I can multiply anything. You might sit here and think, yes, but Lord, you know, my influence or what I can do or, or the position God has given me or where I am in my life, it is so in insignificant. It's nothing. That demon-possessed man, I'm not saying you're a demon-possessed man, but that demon-possessed man had no significance whatsoever. But he came, became the most significant person, I think, besides Jesus in the area because he was the one that started a revolution through Jesus. He was the one that drived it. He was the one that shared it to the world. It doesn't matter of where you are. The question is, where is God taking you? And what do you have? See, 
the beautiful picture, if, if I ask this question, what was left? What was left? Now, in the first story, we know it, right? We grew up with this. When they ate the fish and they ate the bread, what was left? How many baskets? Twelve baskets. To symbolize one beautiful thing, the twelve tribes of Israel, the Jewish nation, right? And so Jesus has twelve baskets over to symbolize the twelve tribes of Israel. And then on the other side, in Decapolis, in the nation of Canaan, how many baskets are left over? Yes, seven. Seven baskets are left over to symbolize the seven regions of Canaan. What is Jesus communicating here? Well, what he's actually doing is he's fulfilling a prophecy in Isaiah. He's fulfilling one of the greatest prophecies. It says this, For it is, it is too small a thing for you to be a servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those from Israel that I have kept. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. He says, what am I doing? I'm going to restore Israel, which he did. And then he says, but what will I do? I will not just restore Israel. I will restore the Gentiles, the seven nations of Canaan. Jesus is preaching. He's saying this. I want to read you the scripture. Oh, will you pass my phone to me? I forgot it there. I want to read you this also in Mark. It is just so good. Mark 8. And it says this. It won't be on the screen. But when I broke the five loaves and gave it to the 5,000, how many baskets were left over? Jesus asked them. And they say, no, 12, like we just said. And then he says, when I broke the seven loaves and fed the 4,000, how many baskets were left over? And they said, seven. And then he said to them, do you not yet understand? He says, guys, come on. We're still so struggled with, should I eat pork? Shouldn't I? Should I do this? Shouldn't I? Must I do this? Mustn't I? And he says to me, guys, don't you get it? I have come to restore everything. Your side, your comfortable zone, and the uncomfortable, the other side, the brokenness of this world. Through who I am. Here's a beautiful thing that I want to encourage you with. When it comes to this comfortable side and difficult side, or uncomfortable is that the 12 baskets that they talk about are these 12 baskets. I'm going to say the word wrong, but it's kopinos. Kopinos? Yes? Which actually just means this, all right? It means a small lunch basket. So this would be your average basket that you pack your lunch in, scuffed in, you know what I'm talking about, right? And <laughs> scuffed in, yeah. And this is what you pack it in, like it's a normal little sized thing. But the seven baskets we talk, he talks about in, in, in Canaan, or the one in Decapolis, is the spuris. Right? Spur is. Eh? Spuris. Spurio. But this basket is a man-sized basket. This is the same type of basket we read about in Acts 8, that, that they use Paul to like lower down in the city walls. This is a man-sized basket. And what is communicated through this piece of Scripture so this is that God's provision in your comfort zone will be good baskets. God will provide and you'll be good. But God's provision outside of your comfort zone will be man-sized baskets. Baskets that you can't carry alone. Baskets that you can't empty out. Baskets that will not just feed you. That's not just enough for you for lunch. 
but that's enough for the people around you, for the world around you. Friends, as a church, we're moving into that space where we want to do man-sized basket things, and I'm going to get there now. You see, in our city, when we think about our city, that is what we want to do. We don't want to see lunch boxes filled. We want to see man-sized baskets filled with God's provision, with His glory, with His goodness. Why? So that we can take it out into the world that needs it. So that we could feed the 4,000. So that we can go and be God's feet and His hands. You see, when Jesus took the disciples on this journey back and forth, He could have done it all by Himself. He could have done it all by Himself in half of the time. Feeding those people, teaching them everything. Why does He take the disciples with? Because He wants to communicate something. He says, my friend, I'm not doing this alone. I want you to go with. I want you to be part of the story. I want people to read of your story forever. Not because you were good, because I am good. I want you to be part of something that's bigger than you. You see, in our city, when we think of our city, there is definitely spiritual lossless. There is worldly influence. I mean, mindsets of people are always consuming. We're always thinking that the more I consume, the better I'll get. Man, we had a good off, or lunch at someone's house this afternoon. We talked about the most richest people in the world. <laughs> it's really fun to talk about them when you have not much, right? It's like, oh, that's good. How many billion do you have? Oh, that's nice. I just need to pay off this credit card. <laughs> Come on. And, and there's these stories of these people. And, and just the more I hear some of these stories, I have, I have a friend of ours, not a friend, good family member, that they, they became super rich. And they like literally had it all. At 40, they were retired, had millions in the bank, sold the company. And after about two years, he went back and bought the company back and started working for the company. And I asked him, why? Why would you do that? Like, dude, you've got all the money. Like, you can go for it. He says, Brent, life's purpose isn't to get stuff. Life's purpose is to, to change people's lives. And so with this company, he's changing 100 families' lives every single day. He's taken that money, some of that profit they've been making, and he pushes it back into the company where he says to everyone that's in the company after COVID that have experienced loss and many different things, he says, if you need to go see a psychiatrist or psychologist, whatever you need to see, I will pay for it. You see, that's when we start restoring the world around us. When it's not about our wealth, but when it's about people that God loves around us. That is man-sized faith. Man-sized basket faith. You see, worshipping in our city becomes a weird thing. We worship not just rugby teams or soccer teams. We worship money, success. We think that if you study and you're going to make something of yourself and you're going to become a CA, or you're going to become a doctor, or you're going to become a nurse or a teacher, that that's when you're going to make it. No, you won't. Your profession is not the greatest thing about you, my friend. It's what Christ has done in your life that's the greatest thing about you. And never let anyone change that. And you think about people maybe consuming different things in this world that's teaching them different things. How we offer up our time, treasures, and talents to other gods. Using our talents so that we can't make God's name greater, but our name greater. Using our time and our treasures so that we can spend it on brain-numbingly things because of life, it's too difficult. I'm saying, friends, what we're doing is that we are the disciples looking at the storms. Jesus, what are you going to do? This is a sign. We need to turn back. And Jesus is like, my friend, whoa. Stop focusing on the storm. Focus on me. 
Focus on what I'm calling you to. Because what I'm calling you to is man-sized bucket faith. Did you know that this, what is the solution to the story that we read of? The solution is bread and fish. Very simple thing. God has blessed the bread and he has made us the fishes. The fishes of men. He has come to do that. Because the little you have, do you know that that's enough to feed a city? An entire city. Thousands upon thousands of people can be blessed by who you are and what you have. So what does this lead us to? It leads us to understanding that, my friend, if you want to see bucket-sized faith, if you want to see bucket-sized love from God and for the city and transformation, we need to cross out of our comfort zone into the other side. And we need to say, when we get there, we don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have all the solutions. We don't have to understand everything. All we have to do is say, Jesus, here I am, and here's what I have. That's it. Guess what he does with that? Jesus makes miracles happen. I want to tell you just a few stories of people in our church and people in the city that I've experienced, experienced this because of the generosity of everyone sitting here, the generosity of the people in our church, them receiving life. The other day, it was last weekend actually, myself and Donnell, we had a bit of a weekend off, nice, right? When you skip church, when you work for church and you like skip church, you're like a naughty kid, like you feel like you're skipping class, it's amazing. Like while you guys were having evening service, I was like, <laughs> watching TV, <sighs> just saying. But on this weekend, we said, let's, let's go eat out. We need to spend some little bit of quality time. We don't want to make food. So let's go eat out. So we went to Ocean Basket. It was a nice warm day. There at the waterfront, sat outside. Flip a nice day. We had a bit of fish, right? It's a fishy situation. Not bread. Oh, jokes, we actually had bread as well. Hi, biblical. Come on. Hello. <laughs> but as we're having this, there's a guy that stands next to me. And I'm like, yeah? And he says, hey, do you remember me? I'm like, if you ever see me at, like in public and you come to me to do that, shame on you. How dare you? Like, it's, it's difficult, okay? I'm the worst with names. Am I right, Sapiso? Yeah. I'm um, so... <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. <laughs> but this guy walks up to me and he's like, do you remember me? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And I'm sitting with my wife, so embarrassing. And he says, no, I'm one of the students at Pop-Up. And I go, What? says, yeah, beginning of the year, pop-up session, you talked about family and like how we should honor God in our family. I remember that. And I asked her, I stood up and I started chatting to him and like, I'm wondering like, what is he doing here? Like, and this guy, by the way, was on the street, went through the pop-up process, got a job. And at that moment, he was actually, <laughs> such a cool thing, on a date with a girl. And he treated her to some ocean basket. A few months ago, that guy was wondering where we would get money from. And today, he's living life. And there's so much excitement in him. And he said to me, he said, Brent, what you guys did for me, I can't explain it. You've given me a second life. There's a guy called Yaku Ace. He's in our church. He, he's got a heart for kids and a heart for music. So the one day, he took a bunch of money, got a bunch of money, Raised a bunch of money, bought 46 guitars, loaded them in the back of his little Opel Uno thingy, 
little bucky. I don't know what those little things. Nissan 1400s. <laughs> and he throws it in the back of that. And he drives towards Haydadol, towards the township area. He gets kids together. He says, come, I want to teach you music. And I want to teach you how to worship. And at this moment, he's giving weekly classes, I think twice a week, to 46 kids every single time where he's teaching them how to use a new instrument, which is a beautiful skill, but also teaching them how to worship God. If that is not stepping out of your comfort zone, I don't know what is. One of the most beautiful things, and yes, man, this really touches my heart, is that in our church, we actually have a baby house. I don't know if you knew this. We have a house for babies, 12 babies in that house at the moment. And these are babies that, man, they didn't have any chance at life. Now, this baby house is super expensive for us to run, all right? And, I mean, this is one of those places that I would never want to give price on. I would never want, that's the last thing I think we'll ever close down if it goes bad. Because in that place, people's lives are literally transformed. There's a little kid there that this past week or two they found, and um, they found this baby in one of the neighborhoods on the side of the road lying pretty much in the gutter. And they picked this baby up, brought that baby to us, and we said, yes, definitely. We want to give them a second chance at life. Man, this is what, what's happening in our city. Stories of kids, life being transformed, people finding jobs and, and living life for the first time. People that are transforming other people's lives. Babies that are given a second chance. Why? Because I believe the one thing that Jesus loves in this world is people. He doesn't love great systems. He doesn't love pretty lights, nice churches. I think he loves people. And he's in the business of restoring people. If, that who, if that's who God is, may I also be one of those. That's all about people. Now I want to encourage you. We only do this like yeah, once a year pretty much. And I want to invite you that if you maybe can just check on your chairs super close to you. There's a debit order form. You can just grab it into your hand. There's nothing you have to do with it yet. Just grab it. Now with this, I first want to say this is that when we talked about the other side, bucket size faith. There's something that we're really trusting God for in the city, is to see growth, bucket size growth. Not in church, my friends. Listen to me. Not in church, but in stories of babies' lives being transformed, of stories of people's lives being transformed by getting a job, all these different things. And this happens with God's provision, with who He is. Now, I can tell you this. Asking for money in a church setting is super awkward for me. I don't like it. I'm going to go cry after this in my car. You can come look at me. But why would I ask money? Because I know that through this generosity fund, people's lives are transformed. There's no doubt in my mind about it. I've seen it firsthand. And I'm not even one of those that say just give. I am personally one that contributes. Myself and Danal had a conversation this week and we asked how will we give. And so we decided to increase this amount that we want to give. Because I'm bought into this thing as much as you should be. Because man, I want to see people's lives changed outside of these walls. Could you imagine if Bloemfontein becomes a city where people love God and love one another? Wow. 
Man, wouldn't that be epic? I don't think we'll find babies on the sidewalks. I don't think we'll find homelessness. I don't think we'll find broken kids in society. I think we'll find fullness, love, hope, restoration. And so I love doing this every time because if we think about it, right, there's these big bucket faith things. And one of the big bucket faith things you probably heard about it last week is that we're gearing up as a city, as Dr. Day at Bloemfontein, to go plant a campus in Durban. Any Durban fans? No one? Excited? It's like the you know, classic cheetah rugby team. They always lose all their best players to, to the Sharks. Shame. But we want to go plant a campus in Durban. Why? Because God gave us this picture, this vision, and we're excited about it. But this is going to ask bucket-sized faith. Now, remember in joining the church and um, being part of the church for a while, journeying my own life through this fund. And I think the craziest thing, when we started this thing about just over 10 years ago, the first ask we did, and now hear the faith, (laughs) please, hear the bucket-sized faith. The first ask we did was 400,000 rand for the year. Sounds big, but we're paying salaries for people to work into schools, into the city, making pop-up, and those things happen. But as we've grown in our influence in the city, we have also grown in the way that we can transform people in the city, how we can bring life to the city. And so last year, we actually had our, we actually reached the goal where we wanted to have 1.6 million rand that we actually wanted to use to transform the city. And we did it. And man, this year, it was amazing. We were in a bunch of different schools, a bunch of different spaces. We had a bunch of babies through our baby house. It has been such a blessing, but we're trusting God for something big next year, for a plant like Durban. And God put the faith on us as a leadership to ask for two million. Let the jaw drop. So I'd love to do this and make this moment happen because this is a very simple moment. I I would do this every single year because this isn't about trying to manipulate you. This is about understanding that, man, together we can change something in the city. So that's why I would ask this question usually. If you're sitting here and you have two million rand and you don't know what to do with the two million rand, you can just put up your hand right now. I will take it from you, and then we can just stop this whole exercise and we can go on for next year. Anyone? No takers? No takers? Just joking. But that's why we, we worked it out. So if we worked it out, if you give 350 rand a month, and we have 480 members, which we have more than in Doxadale, if they commit to 350 rand a month, that's just over 2 million that we already hit. Now, I know when you said that, as a, and I said to you as a student, you're like, 350, Brent, come on. Me, <laughs> bra. I want to say, well, tonight we actually have something different. My goal for you would be to try and reach 350 because that's the goal. That's what we want to aim to. But the other side is that there's some people in our church that are actually giving more than 350, some giving 1,000, some actually giving 5,000 rand a month towards this cause. So it's not you trying to reach the 350. It's asking the question that Jesus asked the disciples, what do you have? And I think for a student, about 100, 150 rand, it's not too rough. And so tonight we have this little picture of what 150 rand looks like. Hello? Last week we had a date night, you know, movie and tickets. Who won that one? Did, Did someone win that one? No one? Oh, they're not here. They're watching that movie. 
sort them out next week, next week, next week. But this, maybe you're like a student like me. Like, I was like, oh, I'd never go to the movies, bro. Like, I don't have, you know, discovery. I can't do that. You watch a movie at home, but you get some snacks. So we got a nice little pizza, popcorn, chips, thingy. Got some Coke and a little sweetie. A good date night situation, right? And so this is what 150 Rand looked like. It's not a massive sacrifice. It's one night of chilling with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. <laughs> or for yourself. <laughs> All the single people are like, that's mine. I don't know. And so I want us to have a fun moment because I want to invite you. Is that who has been dating the longest in the room? Let's hear, okay. Okay, let's go. One year, anyone that's been dating for one year? Okay, two years. Three years. Three years. Four years. Five years. Six years. Six. Anyone higher than six? How many years? Huh? Eight years. Megan, you can come up to the front and come get your date night snack. We can give it out. Okay, man. You can come do it afterwards. You can get it afterwards. You just you chill right there, girl. No one's taking it. I'll make sure Timmy doesn't take it. But why, why do we do this? It's just a very simple thing for you to see what it would actually look like to offer up. It's one meal. <laughs> one space. And so I want to invite you and, and listen to me. If you're sitting here tonight and you have nothing to give, I want to bless you and release you. I want to not put any burden on you. And I pray that next time this year, you would be in a place where you can actually give. I know some of you, I've spent coffees with most of you. I know some of you don't have anything to give and that's fine, then don't give. I, I don't want to put any pressure on you. But I want to ask you this question to the rest of us. If you're in the place where you can give, let me be your leader just for a moment and encourage you to live a life that's generous. To live a life that's generous. Because that's the life that Christ has called us to. The life that Christ has for me and for you, and it's to live generous. Remember how the Bible teaches us, we don't give out of compulsion, but we give out of the generosity of our hearts. We give out of a place of love. We give because Christ has given. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.